eternal Father, Abba Father. We do acknowledge your supremacy, your, your sovereignty. We acknowledge your reign and your rule over all of creation, that which we are a part of. And Father, we humbly approach your throne of grace this morning to say thank you for who you are, what you have been doing, are doing, and will do in and through the lives of your people, for your glory and for your name's sake. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the shed blood of Jesus Christ, who laid down his life that we may live. And Father, not only that, we thank you for the outpouring of that Holy Spirit that indwells those who have repented and trusted in Christ and are now led and directed by you, dear God, for through your spirit, you have set the captives free. Father, you have set us free from the bondage of sin through your Holy Spirit. Father, you have set us free from the greatest slavery ever uh, to don this creation, and that it is that of sin, dear God. The, the bondage of, of always wanting to do just what we want to do. The bondage of always wanting to do that which this world desires uh, for us to do. That, to do the very things that Satan desires for us to do. But you reached in. Father, as our, our ancestors would have said, you reached in. And you came and got rich like us out of sin and sickness and darkness. And you have brought us out of this darkness into your marvelous life, you have cleaned us up and washed us up and closed us with a foreign and alien righteousness that has been solely secured by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And for that this morning, dear God, we say thank you and we worship. So Father, as you have secured this freedom, Father, may we walk in this freedom. May we genuinely enjoy this freedom by communing with you. So, Father, help us to look past ourselves this morning and look towards heaven. Help us to be mindful, to listen, to, to hear from you. Oh, Lord, please open up blind eyes and deaf ears, soften hard hearts, that we would see Jesus. Father, I pray for the one who is burdened this morning with various trials of life. Father, I pray that you would work and deliver. I just intercede on behalf of this entire congregation and myself, oh God, asking that you would pour out your spirit in a, in a way that uh, would transform us from the inside out. Please, Father, help and have your way. In the precious name of Jesus the Christ, we do pray. And all of God's people said together, amen, amen. So even as I was looking this week and, and, and studying, I was, just, I was just struck. I was almost frightened in a sense uh, because so much has been written and preached on and taught uh, upon the subject of prayer. Uh, we, we, if you were to go to uh, the Christian bookstore or to go online, there are so many books written on the topic of prayer and how to pray. And it seems like everybody has a, has a new and fresh way to pray and uh, a new fad way to pray uh, uh, and, and, and all of these different ways that you are supposed to go before God. Uh, but so, so we know, even just because of that, that prayer is an important topic. Prayer is something that is vital to the Christian experience, so we understand the importance of prayer. We understand uh, phrases like this that we use in church, a little prayer, little power. Some prayer, some power, much prayer, much power. We understand that how the Christian prayer life goes, so goes the Christian. We, we understand that. We get that then why don't we pray? Beloved, prayer is that spiritual discipline that if asked, I believe every Christian would say they have room to grow in this area. When it comes to prayer, we're so quick to say, I, I know I should be praying more. 
I know I should be more focused. I, I know I should spend more time with the Lord in prayer. We know these things, but yet there's something about prayer that we, we find it so hard and difficult to get in, in, into that communion and fellowship with God and to, to, to have a little talk with Jesus. Beloved, I believe one of the reasons why prayer is so hard is because the, of the results that come through prayer. Satan is constantly at war against the people of God and trying to keep them from understanding the freedom and the liberty that they already have by keeping them from prayer. This is kind of what Jesus is is leading to because when we think about prayer, uh, Jesus wants to give us a, a complete different understanding. Did you know that it was a privilege to pray? Did you... Do you even recognize that? that it, it is a privilege to pray. It's a privilege because Jesus Christ himself has secured our very right to go before the throne of grace. It is because of the work of, of God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit, that we even have the opportunity to come and to pray. We can only stand before the throne of God because we have been clothed in the righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ alone. It is a privilege to pray. You don't, you don't, we can think of prayer as something we just supposed to be able to do. But the Bible is clear. Prayer is a privilege because of what it costs. The shed blood of Christ Jesus. We have the awesome privilege to communicate with the God of the universe. We have what you call access. Here in in the book of Hebrews, the fourth chapter, we read about the access that we have received because of Jesus Christ. In Hebrews, the fourth chapter, verses 14 through 16, the word of God reads like this. Since then, we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then, okay, so because Jesus came down from glory, because Jesus uh, didn't find uh, uh, his, his need to grasp equality with God, something to be held on to, but he let it go. He let his glory go, and, and he came, and he, he came born of a virgin. He, he put on humanity, and he lived a life that we could not live, and he died the death that we deserve because Jesus uh, walked the streets of Galilee. And he got his feet dirty and, and he ministered to broken people because he uh, healed the lame, because he gave sight to the blind, because Jesus gave hearing to the deaf, because Jesus was able to cast out demons of those who were demon infested, because Jesus was also able to reverse the curse of death by saying, Lazarus, just get up. Jesus was able, because Jesus came and did all of that, but because he secured the, the glory of heaven, the text says, because he did all that. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Because Jesus did what he did, you have the privilege to do what you do in prayer. Because Jesus went ahead and secured our right. He secured the telephone line. He's the one who opened the door and gave us access to the Holy of Holies. Beloved, understand what Jesus has accomplished. In the Old Testament, before they were uh, able to, to, to go into the presence of God, they had to come with the goat. They had to come with the, uh, the, the bird. They had to come with the ox. They had to sacrifice all of these animals. They had to do a, a wave offering, a sin offering. They had to do all kinds of offering just in order to come before uh, the, the altar. And they were not even allowed to go into the Holy of Holies only one time a year. 
where the people of Israel were able to go into the Holy of Holies, and that was only for the high priest. Only one person could go on everyone's behalf. Beloved, what Jesus has done on Calvary's cross, he went on all of our behalf into the Holy of Holies, and he was able to lay his life down as a sacrifice. And then when he got up, he tore down the curtain in order that we would have access to the throne room of God. This is why Jesus is so beautiful. This is why Jesus is so exquisite. This is why there's no one like Jesus. You name him, I tell you, there's no one like Jesus. You, someone who is able not only to regulate your mind here on earth, but to regulate your soul for an eternity. Jesus the Christ, he has provided us access to the throne of God. You know, beloved, this past week, I was even able to learn a little bit more about what it means to have access. I had the privilege to go to the Louisville basketball game this weekend. Uh, a friend passed along some, some, some tickets, and no, not tickets, a ticket, and I was able to have access. And, and as he gave me the ticket, I looked down at the ticket, and it said, it said, it had my section, but the thing that blew my mind was the row. See, when I go to games, my, my row always say like double Z, like WW or TT. I looked up, see, you know, that's way up in the nose, please. But this ticket said row A. I said, A. I don't even know where that's at. So I began to, to walk around and try to figure out where is A. I'm asking people, what row is this? Oh, this is V. And, I, and I'm going lower and lower and lower. As I'm going lower and lower, I'm like, man, this is close. And then I get to row A, and the seats are completely different. They're not, they not that fold down. I mean, they padded, cushion on the back. And I go and sit down in my seat in row A and had a good time. You know what? I had access because of someone I knew. If I was just to walk into the building and ask, can I sit in that seat? They're like, no, you can't sit there. You don't have a ticket. You, you can't just get up and go anywhere you want and uh, at a basketball game. You have to have the, 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 the right ticket in order to have access. See, beloved, you, you think you can just get up and talk to God whenever you want to and you could just ask whatever you want to, but the only reason that you can even go before the throne of grace is because you have been granted access by King Jesus. He's the one who, who, who paid the price for you to be able to come before the king of the universe. Beloved, that's the only access that matters. It's being able to come before the throne of God. And this is the type of access that Jesus is saying that his disciples can have because of what he has accomplished. Prayer is powerful. Prayer has been described many ways. One author describes prayer as an expression of submission to God and dependence upon him. Another author describes prayer as it, it is simply the medium through which we experience and connect to God. Another author says prayer is the divine enigma, the marvelous mystery hidden behind the cloud of God's omnipotence, the slender nerve that moves the muscles of omnipotence. Woo, isn't that beautiful? the slender nerve that moves the muscle of omnipotence. And beloved, most often when we think of prayer, we do think of prayer as a means to move God or more crudely, just to get what we want. But here in this text, Jesus is actually directing his disciples to something greater in prayer. He's directing them to discover the authentic worship and relationship to God. 
See, remember the context of where Jesus is, is, has, has placed this prayer. In the midst of, of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been talking about, don't, don't, don't be righteous on the outside. Don't live in a way so other people will give you the glory and you the honor because you're just doing things so right. And he's saying it's easy to look good on the outside, but it's something else to be redeemed and saved and to love Jesus from the inside. And and in, in verses 1 through 21, he begins to walk through the various spiritual disciplines that that, that mark the Christian life, and he says, and when you give, and, and when you pray, and when you fast, he's laying out this, the Christian piety of, of how we do this thing called worship, and he's saying, don't do the right thing for the wrong reasons. That's the context. So, so when Jesus comes to this prayer, he's actually in the very center of the Sermon on the Mount. It starts in chapter 5, and it ends in chapter 7. And in, in, in chapter 6, there's a number of things, but right smack dab in the middle of what Jesus is, is saying is this prayer. One of the things that biblical authors will off, they, that, that they would do, uh, whereas we would emphasize something at the beginning of our talk, of, of our speech, uh, what to, to, to bring emphasis to something that's going on, the biblical authors would, would create this pattern, and right in the middle of it, they would, they would place the most important thing. So what Jesus is doing, like right in the middle of all that I've, I am teaching you about being a disciple is this portion of how to pray, because Jesus knows that if your prayer life is right, if you, if you got your prayer life tight, then everything else is going to fall into place. But really, everything is out of order, and we try to fix it all kinds of ways. But Jesus is saying, just come to me in prayer. Right at the center, we see this pattern of prayer, which provides this pathway right into the throne room of God. Jesus is calling his disciples not to settle for a less than worship experience. See, when we make worship all about ourselves and how we look and how we feel and what people think about us, we're actually settling for a less than worship experience because the depth of that worship experience is is how good did I obey today? Did did, did I shout at the right time? Was I able to to say, did I say enough hallelujahs for people to notice me? See, but, 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 but when Jesus is the center... Your worship experience is completely full because you've already been accepted by the king of the universe. This prayer is a rejection of all forms of false and inauthentic worship. How do we know this? Leading up into this prayer, we see verses 7 and 8 where he says, don't, 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 don't. Heap up for yourselves empty phrases like the Gentiles. It's a, it's a number of ways we can go there, but, but what I want to lay out is when he's talking about these empty phrases as the Gentiles, what, the Gentiles were who? The unbelievers. So basically Jesus is saying, don't just, don't just give prayers that don't mean nothing. He's talking about the first Kings type of prayers, the first Kings 18 where, where the prophets of Baal were before the, the, uh, the altar. All, the text says all day they was before shouting unto Baal, Baal, pour out your fire, Baal, pour out your fire. And, and, and they're cutting themselves and they're doing all of these extra things. They're being real extra here, trying to get their God to move on their behalf. But then Elijah, just, he just steps up and say, Lord. Bring your fire. He brings it immediately. Jesus is, he's referencing to how how unbelievers think in order to move God, you you have to say a lot of words. In order to move God, you have to, uh, uh, make a big deal about it. In order to move God, you actually have to make a show about it. But Jesus said, this is the complete opposite. In order to, in order to have God move, you don't, you're not asking him to do anything besides move on you. And that's a simple prayer. My thesis here for, for us this morning is Jesus provides his disciples a pattern for prayer that provides a path 
to the very presence of God. This is what's going on. Jesus provides his disciples a pattern for prayer that provides a path to the very presence of God. That's what prayer is all about. Communing with God, being with God, hearing from your heavenly father. See, this this pattern of prayer actually, uh, it orients ourselves toward both God and man, towards heaven and earth. And it covers all things from heaven to hell. It starts with the our father in heaven and keep us from the evil one. And it's, it's, when, when, when we pray, Jesus is saying, you ain't got to spend an hour to touch on everything you need to touch on. I'm going to give you just a few lines and it's going to cover everything from heaven to hell. You just need to be faithful. It was common for religious leaders to teach their followers how to pray. In the parallel passage to this in Luke, the 11th chapter, the first verse, you see the disciples are asking Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray uh, like how John taught his disciples how to pray. So it, it, it would have been that common for a a religious teacher to teach his disciples how to pray. But what's amazing about this prayer is the simplicity and the sincerity of this prayer. Look here in verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus begins this prayer with an invocation. He is invoking the name of his heavenly father, he is inviting, uh, as, as, as he prays this, he is inviting God into his presence. He is, he is, he is opening up that, that door to, to acknowledge just who he is about to talk to. And, and in this invocation, Jesus provides the pattern for posture in prayer. What, what Jesus is saying, when you begin to pray, now, this, this is a model for prayer. Jesus is not saying you need to pray exactly like this every time you pray, but he is giving us a pattern for prayer that's going to give us a pathway into the very presence of God. And he's saying if we want to get into the very presence of God, the first thing we need to check about ourselves is our posture. You know how we like to enter the room. As a matter of fact, we like to be a little late so everybody can see us entering the room. Because we want it to be all about us. And Jesus is saying, no, when you enter into the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, when you enter into the presence of the Alpha and the Omega, you need to be reminded that your, your, your back shouldn't be straight up, but you should be bent over in humble submission. That, that he is the most important thing. So, so he, wants, he wants his disciples to acknowledge the preeminence, the power and the position of God. His preeminence, his power, and his position in order that we would truly recognize the difference between he and us. It's easy to get it twisted and to think so much highly of ourselves than we ought to. How do I know this? Think about the last time you got mad at something. Well, why was you mad? Because you didn't get what you think you should have got. But when we go in in prayer, we need to go like, Lord, whatever you want to do right now. And we go humbly. But not only is this a a position acknowledging his preeminence, power, and position. I I love Jesus' words because this is a familial position. He says, our father. He's not going to a foreign God. He's not talking to the big man upstairs. He says, our father, a a term of endearment. So until Jesus gets on the scene, nobody sees God as just the father. He is Yahweh. He is the one that you don't even fool with or mess with. But Jesus is talking about a, a brand new type of relationship where you can actually call God daddy. And you can actually be his child. This familiar position is you, we, we are able to approach God as a child approaches a good father. So should the children of God approach the heavenly throne. We come before the throne because that's my daddy. 
we're able to go where God goes because we just get to follow our daddy. And when you come in with, with that type of humility, that type of posture, then, then that, that just opens up a whole new avenue to, to experience a authentic worship with God. You're not coming with no airs. You're not coming with any preconceived notions. You're just coming as a child who wants their daddy. Abba Father. This is a posture that recognizes who God is. This is a posture of, of yearning. Our Father, but He's not just a regular Father, He's our Father in heaven. He's our Father in that eternal destination where we desire to be for, for all of our eternity. Our Father in heaven. He is not an earthly father. This is what Jesus is reminding us in just those few words, our Father in heaven. He is saying, even if you had a terrible earthly father, even if your earthly father was never any good, even if you didn't know your earthly father or he didn't treat you like he should have treated you, he's saying, our God in heaven, he's not like our earthly father. He's a heavenly father. He's a divine father. He is the perfect picture of fatherhood. He is a perfect embodiment of care, compassion, and kindness all wrapped up in one. He's the very one that says he will never leave you nor forsake you. He's the very one who says he promises not to place upon you more than you can bear. He's the very one who sent his very best. He didn't give you his, his leftover change to go to Calvary's cross. The God, the Father in heaven, gave you his very best. That's a good father. Jesus provides a, the pattern for our posture in prayer and then he goes on and says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Following his invocation, Jesus provides the pattern for power through prayer. He says, your kingdom come. When, when, when the disciples would pray this prayer, they would acknowledge uh, themselves as part of God's plan. They weren't kings of their own kingdom. But they were part of what God was doing. And in this, uh, this is an acknowledgement. This is a prayer of submission. Father, not, not my kingdom. Father, don't work out things how I, want, how I want you to work out things. Don't work out things how I think they should go. Uh, I want your kingdom and the way you do things to come and to move and to, and to work. But then that begs the question, why, why would we pray for the kingdom of God to come? Why do we want the kingdom of God to come? Think, think about the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, there is complete worship and adoration of Yahweh. In the kingdom of God, there, there are no hindrances or barriers to you being able to see the Savior face to face. In the kingdom of God is the land of no more. In the kingdom of God are all of the saints crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Basically, we're praying for the kingdom of God to come because the kingdom here is full of chaos, confusion, and mess. And we are saying, Lord, you bring your kingdom because your way is better than our way. Your way is above our way. We want things to be made right, and we can't make it right. So, Lord, we want your kingdom to come. Many have used the illustration of uh, World War II and D-Day to talk about this subject of the kingdom. See, on D-Day, that was the day where all of the uh, allies came together, and they landed on that beach in Normandy in order to, to crush uh, uh, Hitler and the German forces during World War II. And, and they call it D-Day simply because that's, that's just day one. And, and like the day before D-Day would be like D minus one. The day after D-Day is D plus one, but you have D-Day. And, 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 and what history shows us that uh, 11 months from D-Day came V-E-Day. 
That was the victory in Europe day. So, so, so from the time that the, the Allied forces landed to the time that victory was conquered, there is this period of 11 months, but that, that victory would never had come had the forces never landed. So, so stay with me right now. Because they got in their ships, because they got in their boats, because they, they went through all of the, the, the bullets and the bombs and all the shells, and because they was able to put their feet on that beach and to walk up the hills, from that day on, the, the power of the the German forces was diminished each and every day because as they moved across France, as they moved across Europe, they was pushing back the German forces and eventually they was able to push them all the way back to Germany and to crush them right at their own gates. Stay with me now. And after they crushed them and, and, and won the victory, then everybody was able to celebrate because victory was secure. Beloved, I'm not talking about D-Day and American forces, but I'm talking talking about the D-Day where Jesus came, but not just when Jesus came. I'm talking about D-Day, the day when Jesus got up from the grave on one Sunday, early one morning called Easter, because that was the day that, that Jesus said, now my kingdom is going to come and I have established it. And every single day since Easter, Jesus is expanding and he's growing his kingdom. And though Satan may have some power now, my Bible tells me that as God is expanding his glory through his people, he is pushing back wickedness. He is pushing back evil. And he is pushing it back right to hell's gates. He's pushing it back to his door. And then the text tells us that there's going to be a day. There's going to be a, a VE day. It's called Victorious Eternal Day where Jesus comes back on his white horse and he's going to call his saints up. And we're going to meet him in the air. And the dead in Christ are going to rise and he's going to put his foot on Satan's neck once and, and, and one last time and we will shout the victory. The victory's already been won. And what Jesus is saying when you pray, pray from a position of victory. I've already won, but Lord, you just keep bringing your kingdom. Oh, Lord, you bring your kingdom here on earth. Oh, because when the kingdom moves, we see Jesus' face. Beloved, you don't believe me. When you see somebody get saved, that's just the kingdom coming. When you see somebody delivered from alcoholism, that's just the kingdom coming. When you see somebody delivered from sexual immorality, that's the kingdom coming. When Satan is actually, when, when God is able to, 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 to keep your tongue in check, that ain't nothing but the kingdom coming because you and I both know, had it not been for the Lord in your mouth at that moment, you would have said what you would normally I say. You would have did what you normally do and you would go where you normally go. But because we have the victory and he is coming, we know that his kingdom is at work. When you see deliverance, that's the kingdom coming. Then Jesus has the nerves to keep on praying. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also have forgiven our debtors. Now Jesus here, he provides the pattern for provision through prayer. In view here, Jesus has, there's, there's two needs that we have on a regular basis. We have our physical needs, but then also we have our spiritual needs. He says, give us this day our daily bread. This, and, and, and forgive us our, uh, uh, and forgive us our debts. He is, he is, this is a prayer of dependence. Lord, I can't take care of myself. I need you to take care of my daily needs. Lord, I, 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 I'm prone to wander and prone to sin. I, I need your forgiveness. And the fact that you have forgiven me uh, enables me to forgive others who are in need of forgiveness. I need you, Lord, to, to move. And notice I, what Jesus does. Jesus is always, he, he's looking back, forward, side, all at the same time. And, and when he says, give us our daily bread, he's actually looking back to Exodus 16, where the children of Israel began to receive 
the manna from heaven. They're, they're, they're out in the wilderness, and the, and the text of Scripture says they're, they're grumbling. They're always complaining about something. And, and, and they're hungry. Oh, did you bring us out into the wilderness to die? Okay, we want to go back to Egypt where the onions and the leeks. We want to go back to the sweet potato pie and the, and the ribs. And, the, and we want to go back to, the, 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 to that. But God said, I'm going to give you something better. I'm just going to rain down. Matter of fact, you ain't got to do anything. I, I'm just going to wake you up in the morning and your bread is going to be right there. And, and then later on in Deuteronomy 8, he, uh, he, Moses is pointing to that. And he is saying, man should not live by just bread alone. What is he saying? They, they weren't sustained by the bread. That the bread was just a result of God who was giving it. He, so, so when we think about this text, give us this day our daily bread, God wants to do more than just meet your needs. He wants to do more than just pay your LG&E. He wants to do more than just to keep your husband and wife from getting on your nerves. He wants to do more than, than promote you on your job. He wants to meet your physical and your spiritual needs. Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus is saying we need to depend on God, not just yesterday, but we need to depend upon him today. Our daily bread. In Exodus, we see that the manna would come that day, and but whatever was left over would go bad. You had to get up the next day and trust God just like you did today. And beloved, I'm talking to somebody out there. You, you're going to have to trust God today just like you trusted him yesterday. You, you don't know how you're going to get through. You, you're not sure how you're going to get out. You don't, you don't know how you're going to get over. But, but, I, but I, I believe the scriptures where it says you should not live by just bread alone. If you just tr keep trusting God, he'll continue to give you your daily bread. And, and forgive us of our sins. You know, that part is important because... As human beings, we actually don't believe we sin. <laughs> we don't believe we sin. Nope. You know, how do I know? Because when you talk to people and you be like, and they did this and they did this, what do you think? You, I, sometimes I'm like, well, what did you do? <laughs> it's always somebody else's fault. But Jesus wants you to understand that when you're praying, your spiritual need is forgiveness. Scripture says in 1 John 1 and 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10 says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. If you so sweet and don't sin, then why did Jesus have to come and die on Calvary's cross? If you just always right, you think you always right. That may be your sin issue. You think you're always right. But we all got sin issues, proclivities, and, what, and whatnot. But we need to understand that he is saying, come to me and confess your sin. Come to me broken. Come to me dependent upon forgiveness. We don't think we sin because we only think about sins of commission. Those sins that we, like, like we do. And it's easy to forget that what you do. Like, like I... I believe, now this, this, I don't see this in the, in the Ten Commandments, but I believe it's a sin to be driving in the left lane and go all across all four, all four lanes to get off on your exit. That got to be a sin somewhere. Like, no, you missed your exit. Just go to the next one, turn around, and come back. You about to kill everybody. You on the phone. Oh, that's my ex. Like, what? I digress. But as soon as we get home, we forget about that, don't we? We think it was all right. So we forget about those sins of commission. But, I, beloved, I think even more so, we need to worry about our sins of omission. Those things that we're supposed to be doing that we ain't doing. And beloved, I know we all sinners because Matthew 22, the first commandment says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. That means that, that you loving God all the time, through everything. That you love God 
more than anybody or anything. And that you're willing to, but, but we know we fall short. But Jesus said that, now, now there's no condemnation because I paid for that, but you just need to confess that. Jesus, he provides this pattern for provision through prayer. We, we have this pattern going on of Jesus taking care of us through this prayer. Lastly, and, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So finally, Jesus, he provides the, the pattern for protection through prayer. In verse 13, this, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This, this is just the reality that there is evil in the world. This is the reality that we are in the midst of spiritual warfare. Beloved, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. We are in the midst of spiritual warfare. You think it's your boss just acting a fool on, uh, 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 on you. Don't you know that Satan is pulling strings and, and manipulating things uh, in order to cause you to fall and to struggle and to destroy your testimony? It's, it's, it's not God. Uh, uh, Satan is using individuals in order to get to God's people. You, you, mad, at, you mad at your cousin, them, your brother, your, your sister, your children. And, and Satan is just, he's just using folks in order to get to you. Don't you know that Satan has minions watching you? At all times, Satan knows what you like. You ain't, did you, did you know that? Like, Satan knows what you like. But just as much as Satan knows what you like, he knows what you dislike. Satan knows your buttons, how we say. Oh, they just been pushing my buttons. Satan knows your buttons. And what he does is he, he, he brings influences and he manipulates people in order to push your buttons. So you were, you know how they used to say, you was out there and I just lost my religion. Yeah. Satan wants you to lose your religion. Literally. And he wants you to live in such a way that, that, that it is evident you don't know the father because you haven't truly trusted him. He is just seeking to steal, kill, and devour. So for those who don't know Christ, he's trying to keep you blind by pushing your buttons. But for those who do know Christ, he's just trying to keep you so, so weak, so broken down in your faith, so, so harmless to his kingdom. He just wanted to keep you on the bench, basically. Satan don't want you to get in the game. Oh, beloved, too often do we let Satan keep us on the bench. Like, we cool just being on the bench. We like, yeah, we got our warm-ups on. We run into the players, talk about, can I get you some water? Like, we, I got a towel for you, and then we go sit back down. Like, we don't, we don't even want to get in the game. What kind of Christian life is that? There's, Jesus acknowledges the reality of spiritual warfare, and when we think about evil, think about, think about evil deeds. The sins we commit, our disobedience towards God. Think about devices, the things that distract us from God. But then think about Satan himself, our deeds, uh, devices, and the devil. But ultimately, what I believe that Jesus is leading his disciples in prayer is, deliver us from that day of judgment, the day where the sheep will be separated from the goats, and the wheat is separated from the tares. Lord, keep us from, from falling and not being able to pursue you because we will be separated from you forever. And this prayer for authentic worship, Jesus is challenging us to examine our own prayer lives. How, how can we apply this to our own lives today? Well, we can begin to ask questions like, what is your heart posture in prayer? When you go into prayer before God, do you even pause to think about who you're talking to? Or do you just come with your grocery list? What is your heart posture in prayer? What is your heart's deepest desire in prayer? Do you actually pray for holiness? For godliness? Do you actually pray for 
character? Do you actually pray for those who have been getting on your nerves, asking that the Lord would save them and sanctify them and that he would teach you what you need to learn even in the midst of the suffering? What is your heart posture in prayer? What is your heart's deepest desire in prayer? But thirdly, do you have a heart of dependence during prayer? Do you actually live your daily life like you actually need Jesus? Lastly, do you pray for continued direction in prayer? Lord, guide me today and keep me from Satan. Keep me from doing the things that I want to do and help me to do the things you want me to do. What is our hope? Jesus, that is our hope. Jesus provides his disciples a pattern for prayer that provides a path to the very presence of God. And how do we know this? Because as you walk through this prayer line by line, word by word, letter by letter, we know and we ultimately see in his prayer in John 17 that not only did Jesus teach his disciples how to pray, but he is saying that I am the fulfillment of this prayer. Jesus himself is the fulfillment of the Our Father. Because it was, Jesus recognized the power of the Father in heaven. He always began his, his prayers with our Father. And, and not only our Father, but his desire above all things that the name of God be exalted in every single thing that he does, he, that he did. Jesus fulfills this prayer in establishing repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he has brought the kingdom himself to earth. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There, uh, Jesus was getting rid of diseases because there's no diseases in heaven. Jesus was getting rid of demons because there was no, dise- no demons in heaven. Jesus was walking on water because in heaven he was walking on streets of gold. And, and on the earth he was able to uh, talk to nature and make sure nature obeyed because in heaven all of nature obeys. He says, my kingdom come and my will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He said, give us this day our daily bread because Jesus reminds us that he is the bread of life. When it was breaking bread, he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He says, he says, we have forgiven our debts as we forgive our debtors on the Calvary's cross. Jesus looks down and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He is the fulfillment of the Our Father. And he says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. When Jesus gets up from the grave, he he has reminded and told his disciples that I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would not have told you so. And he says, and when he gets to to that place, he's going to have a mansion for all of his disciples. And he says, lead us not into temptation. But Jesus says, in order for you to get there, he says, and I will be back and I will bring you with me. He's going to lead us into glory himself. Oh, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Our Father. So, beloved, when you're praying the Our Father, you're not just praying words. You're praying Jesus Christ over a situation. Let me help you understand. When, when you're in a broke, uh, broken and, and dis, uh, discouraging and difficult situation, stop praying in your name and start praying in Jesus' name. Start approaching God with the right posture, with the right heart, and you pray Jesus over this thing. Father, I know that you are a deliverer because you sent Jesus to deliver me. Would you please bring forth a deliverance in this situation. Father, I know it's chaos and confusion everywhere, but I serve a God of order. And Jesus was able to talk to the, talk to the sea, to talk to the wind, and to say, peace be still. Lord, would you allow Jesus to work in my situation? Lord, it don't matter what situation or where you are, if you begin to allow Jesus to work in your situation, you will begin to experience the authentic worship that he is talking about in the Our Father. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your power. I ask that you would please deliver us from evil, that we would not be led into temptation by our own desires, but that we would seek to glorify you above all things. Lord, we do love you and thank you. In the precious and glorious name of Jesus Christ, we do pray. Amen.
pause for a moment and begin to ask God this simple question. Lord, how should I respond today? How should you respond today? We have heard what thus saith the Lord, but if we leave out of here living the same way, we've missed it. How should you respond today? For someone, you need to respond by confessing your sin and trusting in Jesus Christ for salvation. In the privacy of your own, your own heart, you can bow your head and pray a prayer like this. Lord, please forgive me of my sins. Please forgive me for being disobedient to you. Would you please come into my heart and save me and to help me live for you and experience authentic worship. Thank you for saving me, O oh God, in Jesus' name. You may need to respond with a prayer confession or if you are already a follower of Christ, you may, you, you may need to, to respond by, with a prayer of repentance. Lord, I have not been faithful. Please forgive me for not being faithful in prayer, for not being faithful in my word, for not being faithful to my family, for not doing what I know you have called us to do. You may need to respond in repentance. But you may be here today and you may need to respond by interceding on the behalf of someone else that you know. Someone who is in need of prayer. You know who they are. They need your prayers today. So, beloved, whether you need a salvation, repentance, or intercession for someone else, just pause where you are and pray to our Father right now. Asking that God would move, and that as you pray Jesus over the situation, you would experience authentic worship that's free from worry, free from angst, free from doubt, and that you would truly experience the liberty that Jesus has come to give those who are trusting him. Just take some time to pray for yourself. Respond to the word of God today. Doors of church are now open. If you want to talk to someone about salvation, you want to have someone else pray with you, pray for you, or if your desire is to become a covenant member of Forest Baptist Church, you can come as we all stand, sing our closing song. May we all stand.